0: This is the intro song for my asshole brain.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to my asshole brain. I am Amanda. And I am Stephanie. And today we're going to be talking about procreation. Parenting. And whether,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: whether or not to have kids or to breed and the impact that that has on us. Um, both physically and in terms of um, the effect on your brain, but also the impact that it has on your lives based on societal expectations. So first we're going to talk about um, birth rates and the, the kind of the physical side of this. People talk a lot about having biological clocks, And that's a joke that's often used to reference women who want to tie a man down so they can get knocked up because their clock's are ticking and they want to be moms.
2: Their eggs are rotting and their life is ending (laughs) before their very eyes.
1: Because if you're not a parent, your life has no meaning, or so society will tell you.
2: And who will take care of you when you're old and dying? Yes,
1: that's another, of course, a very valuable question to consider if you decide you don't want to have children. Of course, you're going to have a shit ton more money, Because you haven't spent it on your children. Which you can use for hospice and nursing homes. (laughs) And you can pay people to take care of you.
2: (laughs) Instead of forcing your children.
1: Right. Instead of relying on your offspring. Now, granted, in other cultures, they consider that something that you're just supposed to do because they actually honor old people. Yeah. Um, Because obviously, different cultures view aging very differently and value the elderly in a way we don't. But that is a topic for another day. We don't have that much time. No, we're not gonna talk about aging in the elderly. We are going to focus, as I said before, on whether or not to have kids. So for women, the chances to conceive decline after 35, and for men it's after 40, which I think a lot of people would find surprising because there seems to be this assumption that men can continue to have kids basically until they die or their junk stops working. Um, but thanks to things like Vi- Viagra, even that
2: isn't as much of a concern anymore. And you also see, you know, famous people like George Clooney, Jeff Goldblum, that, David Letterman, that in their significantly older age, 60 plus, have had children. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, you don't have to be... Even under 50 for, a, you know, a male. Basically, as long as they're still shooting, they're good to go. Right.
1: So for women, I think, what is it, at 35, it's considered a geriatric pregnancy? Yes, I believe that is correct. Yeah. So uh, for for women, at that point, you're considered old <laughs> and high risk.
2: Very old. Your child is going to come out with boils and excrements. <laughs> or you're going to
1: have more we problems. We should edit that
2: part out. Yeah, you
1: might want to take that out, <laughs> take too. Take the
2: part about the boil and the, and the excrement. Because that's kind of...
1: It, it is slightly more dangerous. They have to do more monitoring. There are there's an increased chance of having complications or um, different birth defects and things like that when you're a little bit older. But with men too, it can even be difficult because of the way age affects sperm motility and viability. And I think there's more going into that in regards to um, how age, but also other things can impact men. I remember. Years ago, because um, my uncle, by marriage, was pretty much a raging alcoholic, and my aunt had a great difficulty conceiving, and finally was able to have a child. But one of the things that kind of came out later, I remember, uh, in science, was that drinking a lot can can impair sperm, and so. I remember a conversation happening around the time that those studies came out between certain family members who were wondering if that may not have been the reason why she troubled had trouble conceiving right. it was not because of her but because, because of him right yeah. typically when it comes to fertility the blame has traditionally kind of rested on women well yeah because that's our job right if you can't get that right, why right. Are you even here it is your purpose yeah and at times, they, women were even considered uh, responsible for the gender, even though now we know that that's actually the men, because it's the sperm that determines whether the baby will be male or female. Yep. But as science has continued, they're discovering more and more about the role that, that men play in it. And so there's there's enough blame to go around.
2: <laughs> Everybody <laughs> is to blame.
1: It's everyone's yeah. fault. So this idea that men can continue to have kids forever. I remember, do you remember Tony Randall? This You're younger than me, so I don't know if you remember this happening, but he was on The Odd Couple. I know the name. Okay, so he was in The Odd Couple in like the 70s. I'm really showing my age, although I have to admit right now, I only watched it in reruns. I never uh-huh. saw the original. I'm not that old. <laughs> I remember, I think when I was in high school maybe, he got married and had a kid, and he was in his 70s, and this really sparked a debate about whether or not it was ethical to have kids when you're that old because you can't be around that long. But that kind of stuff, even though people kind of questioned it, the fact remained that men were still able to have right. kids
2: that that late in age. And, I mean, then you can make the argument with something like that. You can't predict what's going to happen anyway, so, I mean, you know, a 20-year-old could have a kid and get hit by a bus the next day.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the ethics of that, Yeah. it, it still plays into what we're talking about in regards— to whether or not to have kids which is Uh,
2: weird because honestly ethics is not a thing you hear you talk a lot about in general when it comes to having kids I feel like I feel like by and large the discussion is about love which I mean obviously those things are important when you're raising another person yes but (laughs) nobody really thinks about ethics to it a lot of the time and I think there's definitely an aspect of it I don't know, maybe that's for the people that overthink things.
1: Well, I think that there's discussions about responsibility, like whether or not you should yeah. have
2: kids. Which and, I guess maybe that qualifies as ethics. Yeah,
1: but uh, I don't think that people always consider ethics as far as that. When, I think when the discussion of responsibility comes up, I think people look at it from a financial aspect. Can you afford to have kids? Right. Can you... If you can't
2: afford them, why are you having more? Right. Given my job, believe me, I hear that
1: argument a lot. Right. So I think that comes into it, but in terms ethically in terms of, what kind of life you can provide for them not financially but in terms of quality of life in regards to the time you can spend with yeah. them how long you can be around I don't think that's discussed as much it's more about can you provide for right. them and I do hear interestingly enough when people are talking about not having kids that's when the ethics often comes into it which I think is really interesting people seem to spend more time being concerned with the ethics of, of why they shouldn't have kids than they do with the ethics of why they should. And I think that's because there's so
2: much pressure to have children. And in my experience, I because I do kind of think of it as an ethical decision, so for my personal decisions and personal choices, whatever, I do think about the ethics a lot. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe that's the thing. Like, maybe that's how I know that I'm not really inclined to have kids because I do overthink all of the aspects whereas I know other people that have kids that don't so they just kind of wing it (laughs) right and I mean you know and it's it's one of those things you know it's trial and error anyway I think so it is but I think that what's interesting is
1: when I've heard people who are being forced into the position of having to defend their choice not to have kids which I don't think anyone should have to defend that decision to be honest if you don't want to do it don't do it if you don't think that you should have kids you're probably
2: not going to be a good parent I mean, that's my thing. I'm like, believe me, if you don't want to have children, by all means, please do not have children. I don't know how many people I know or have known that did not want kids, decided not to have kids, and then got pregnant and had a kid. And the kid's fine. They enjoy the child. They're glad they have their kid. They wouldn't change it. But it's still like, you were completely opposed to this. And then you got it, and I was like, oh, well, I guess now... I'm stuck with it. Yeah, Yeah, and my brain is like, it's a whole person. Like, I don't want to be like, oh,
1: well, guess I have this person. If you're, you're talking, yes, you're talking about the formation of a life here. And I don't mean just in your womb. I mean, once it comes out, there's a lot more work to do, surprisingly. And so if you are not fully sure you want to do it, then there's a chance you might fuck it up. Granted, you could be sure you want to do it and still Still fuck fuck it up.
2: up. I feel like parenting is pretty much like there's a better chance than not that you're going to fuck it up just because how could you not? Well, my goal
1: with my kids was they came out pretty well. They, even when they went through some tough spots, they were either because of the situation they were in or it was normal developmental bumps in the road, which all kids have my goal was to pretty much just not mess them up. Like I felt like they came out pretty good and my job was to just keep them on that track. Like they're not broken. I'm going to keep them not broken. Right. So for me it was much more about kind of nudging them in the right direction and if, you know, trying to correct their path if they were going somewhere. But I, I never believed that, like kids come out a blank slate and you write their personalities for them. Yeah, they very right. much come out their own people. I've had to parent each of my children differently and different tactics have had to be used for each one and for different situations because of what works for one right, doesn't for another because they're different people. Well, each human being is individual and right. they're not a blank slate. And I think that may have been an assumption at one time, but I think that I don't know if science is catching up with that belief or not. There's still debates about nature versus, versus nurture. Nature. I think it's both. I think that you can. I think you can have kids that are born troubled, but with good parenting and good guidance can. And that, and a lot of times when I say born troubled, that's usually because there's something. It's physiological. Right. It's not like they just are born without a soul. You know. It's it's that there's something off about them, but that you can help get them on the right path. Yeah. And I think that there are kids that are born in a good space or or are quite healthy emotionally and mentally and you can completely fuck them up with terrible parenting but i don't think that you can completely create a human being in in terms of personality i do think that there's something inherent in us when we're born that tips us in one way or the other or or helps not necessarily tips us that implies that we're
2: born either a little good (laughs) or a little bad
1: i don't believe depending on who
2: you are you actually think that way could be yeah Uh,
1: but I, I do think that you're born with some inherent personality traits, some leanings in different directions, but your upbringing can absolutely enhance or uh, tone down those. Although I did make a comment with the horror, I think, when we were talking about people doing terrible things, or it might have been another episode. But my point was, I said, I do think some people are born broken. I do, But that, again, I would argue that it's, it's still a problem physiologically. Some people are just kind of born with a tendency to lack empathy uh, and you know more a lot more is being looked at that in terms of psychology and all that but at the same time you you hear about kids that have that don't have contact with people like kids in orphanages and stuff and they have trouble attaching not because something was wrong with them when they were born but because they haven't had yeah. any contact with human beings during their formative
2: and it, you know years. again it that nature versus nurture thing how much is nature how much is nurture right there's just you know it's a pretty even split
1: on side and I feel the same way as well and and you know we're not really going to be debating parenting techniques in this it's It's more so about the choice to have kids or not have kids and why there was some news that came out recently that caused a big stir with a lot of people um, and, and certain pundits were were debating what was the cause behind it but Our birth rate has reached a 30-year low. We (laughs) dropped below replacement rates in 1971. So we have been on this path for decades. It's now, I guess, for some reason becoming either more popular or more recognized. And, of course, people want to blame the millennials for it. We do ruin everything. (laughs) See, I'm Gen X, so... We ruined everything for a while, and then you guys came and took that. And then we ruined it more. Right. Yeah. You took that burden from it. We were just disaffected and grouchy. You guys are entitled and, um, and we like to make sh- everything we like terrible. To <laughs> of course, because every upcoming generation is the worst, right? Exactly, yes.
2: <laughs> Everybody gets slightly worse.
1: Well, yeah. This is this is tradition. This is nothing new. People act like it's new, but it's not. Older tradition or excuse me, older generations have always complained about younger generations. Right. That's the way it's always been. This is nothing new. It is a
2: continuous cycle of get off my lawn.
1: Yes, exactly. As we get grouchy as we get old and we like to blame everything yeah. on youngsters. Right. And
2: I don't remember it being that way when I was young, so this is
1: new and they fucked it. Right. Up these kids in their screens staring at their phones all day anyway we're getting off topic there are some reasons for why a lot of people in the millennial generation are deciding not to have kids and i know you did some research on that we both looked up some facts and figures a lot of it comes down to the fact that in the united states we just don't take very good care of new parents or parents in general there are not a lot of systems that are laid out for people
2: with young children especially right we are one of only I think it's two nations that don't have paid maternity leave um, or paid benefits for new parents daycare is obscenely expensive and yet still
1: can often be not great so people are paying a lot of money for daycare that, and I'm not trying to bash the entire daycare industry because, of course, there are daycares that are absolutely wonderful, but then you hear horror stories of, like, the woman who, was, who ran a daycare, and she had infants and toddlers that strapped in their chairs in their seats, and she drugged them for, like, seven hours at a time, so she didn't actually have to take care of them.
2: Which, to be fair, if you've ever been around a small child, <laughs> Strap, you <laughs> understand the inclination. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, but don't do it
1: perhaps you shouldn't be charging other people to watch their kids if that's your idea of childcare. Exactly, care.
2: that's not that's that's not how this works
1: no that's bad right
2: as we mentioned earlier you know talking about our society doesn't necessarily have a great respect for the elderly and the aging kind of tied into that you know Familial units are a lot more spaced out, so it's not one of these, you know, well, I have a kid and my mom or my husband's mom or, you know, my partner's parent can watch, you know, people work longer and then further into old age. So, you know, it used to be you kind of had that built-in safety net of, you know, well, my mom can get my kid a couple times a day a week or my mom can watch my kid all week. And for a lot of people, that is not the case at all anymore. So because their parents aren't retiring. Yeah, their parents aren't or, retiring. Or, or when or they, they are,
1: they're so old, they're too fucking tired to raise right. your kids. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, you don't have a lot of those things that make it so much easier. You know, paid maternity. You know, places where you do do get maternity leave. Most people can't be off more than eight weeks and reasonably afford it. Usually um,
1: it's 6 I I'm think. I'm going to say yeah, and
2: 6 is the bare and, bones. And, and a lot of people can't do that. And
1: they're not required to pay you. There's
2: no law saying that your job has to pay you while you're on maternity leave. And, and that's true. Like you can get if you have an employer that has it, you can get FMLA leave. But, but yeah, that's, that's not paid leave. Yeah. So you know you like, can go
1: on short-term disability, which is off of what half pay maybe for a lot of times. Yeah, and mm-hmm. if you exceed four weeks, I think those additional two weeks, like so, if you take six weeks, I think two of that would be unpaid. Yeah, and and you know that's not for everybody. Sometimes it differs based on the job, but by and large, you, you there's a good chance that you're going to go without
2: money for a period of time right. if you take
1: maternity leave. And there
2: are other countries where you know it it is written in stone you get paid maternity leave and you get this amount and th- six
1: months in some places yeah, and I that's think.
2: not even just the birthing parent the the other part, parent you know be it the father or however your situation is set up they get paid leave too so you're both there taking care yeah. of things and bonding and that Which is, is not a thing we do here. No,
1: and, and having been a mother, and I was very fortunate that my husband was able to take some time off, but then also work from home a great deal of time when our kids were little and I just had babies because I needed that help, especially after the first, because you have another child that needs help watching, taking to preschool, whatever, and it's incredibly difficult to take care of a newborn and another child. Right. And I was very fortunate that I had that. I was also very fortunate I didn't have to work full-time. Now, we struggled financially. However, I was able to work part-time, so I still contributed, and I was able to stay in my field of study, which I'm glad. It allowed me to kind of halfway pursue my career, so I at least stayed relevant for a while and continued to get experience.
2: Instead of having to, you know... Drop out all together. Yeah, and completely drop one thing or the other. Like, well, I'm going to work all the time, so my time with my kid is meh. Yeah. Or and I'm going to spend all my time with my kid, but I'm not going to work or I'm not yeah. going to move anywhere in my career.
1: I'm glad I didn't have to work full time because I remember when my babies were little, the idea of having to leave them and, and go, you know, just a few hours a week I was okay. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have to work 40 hours a week when you have a six-week-old. right. Because you're still not sleeping and being away from them when they're that young is incredibly difficult and then on top of that you know you deal with the guilt of not being there you're missing out on things so I was very lucky I didn't have to do that at the same time flip side it was very important for me to be able to continue to have a life outside of parenthood because my mother always told me growing up you need to be if something ever happens you need to be able to support yourself And I spent seven years in school getting a bachelor's and then a master's. And it would have been very difficult to give that up, to stay at home and be a mom full time. So even though I was with them the majority of the time, because I only taught a few classes and I was very fortunate to have a support system that could watch them either for free for a little while or for a little bit of money, I I really lucked out in that scenario. But I was not the type of person then, nor have I ever been the type to completely erase my identity and replace it with just mom. I needed to have something outside of that.
2: Well, maybe, I mean, there have been studies I've seen, I have, I mean, it's been years so I don't have anything immediate to reference, where they say that a lot of parents do better when they do have, you know, even if it's things simple as, you know, like outside hobbies, not even necessarily employment right because it does you know it's sort of that same concept as you're at work you need to take a 15 minute break just so you can kind of step away and you know refocus and gather your thoughts it's look the same kind of thing with you know parenting like you know if all of your time and all of your attention is constantly 100 percent poured into them and you never take a breather and kind of refocus and gather your thoughts you're burning yourself out and it's so easy to burn out parenting anyway because it's such an impossibly big job.
1: And there's a sense, especially when they're little, you never get a real break. You're never completely relaxed until they get a little bit older. And even now, with older kids who can entertain themselves and watch themselves, I still worry about my children all the time. And it's different types of concern now. Like, I worry about their stress levels, I worry about how. My oldest is doing at college when i know he might be struggling with certain things and i worry is he going to be able to handle this okay so i worry about them transitioning into adulthood and remembering how stressful that was for me and hoping that they have enough coping skills that they can get through it so it's a different type of worry but when they're very little i didn't notice until i would put them down for naps that the, the a tightening in my chest would finally loosen because when they're so small, you have to be in a constant state of awareness because they can get killed <laughs> by anything at any time. Right. I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but there's so many things out there that can injure them, uh, either a little or a lot and you have to be constantly aware and even if you baby proof this shit out of your house there's still something that can happen and you have to be watching them and aware of they are of where they are at all times even when you're on the toilet or in the shower (laughs) small children
2: are crafty yes like if they had the faculty for it they would make wonderful little like burglars and cat because they're just one second they're here and it's fine and literally within like Five seconds they're clear the opposite direction and they've broken 15 things and something's on fire and <laughs> one of the pets is missing a limb and it's just how something expensive the, is yeah, in the toilet <laughs> right there i looked the other way and now everything's destroyed it's I rem- amazing i
1: remembered the moment where my freedom died when jack <laughs> was an infant and he wasn't even crawling he was maybe four months old So I lay him on the ground just to go pee, 15 feet away. It was a very small house. I could even kind of see where he was. He wasn't rolling or anything, so I thought, it's fine. I can surely just go to the bathroom for 30 seconds. He'll be fine. I came back. I couldn't find him. (laughs) The little fucker had rolled and, like, gotten himself stuck under an end table. (laughs) He wasn't even crawling, and he was disappearing on me and at that point i was like oh shit this is a new game because now i can't do anything without securing him somewhere to make sure that he's not going to die while I turn my head <laughs> or go to
2: the bathroom, and we're well, taking a shower. problem. You get so like you know, oh my God, why don't you walk yet? Or oh, why don't you talk yet? And then they start doing those things, and you're like, oh no, <laughs>
0: if I could <laughs> go back, and- back. <laughs>
2: yeah. Now you can move. I can't set you somewhere and know that you'll still be there in four hours. Not that that's a thing you should do. No, but,
1: absolutely not. Unless they're asleep,
2: yeah, that's <laughs> acceptable. You can leave them asleep for four hours. Yes. Once.
1: So I I, I understand why people don't want that responsibility. It consumes your life. And as we'll talk later, as we get into the effect this has on your brain, it can actually shrink it. (laughs) (laughs) And it can have long lasting effects on your hormones and the way you respond to things. So it's incredibly, it's a huge task and it changes who you are in every way. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure on women and men as well but especially women to have kids we know you included but we know other women who have not had kids who will on occasion talk about the questions that have been asked of them they can be very intrusive I mean let's face it whether or not to have a child is a pretty private matter but people will ask you questions as though it's their business when it's not right
2: And they'll judge you for it. And I mean, you know, people do it with people that are already parents. Oh, well, when are you having another? Oh, you only have two. You should have a third. Mind you, I I can think of several friends that when they found out they were pregnant with a third child, they weren't necessarily like, I mean, they were happy, but it hadn't been planned. And I can think of two different friends that both said that they had people make kind of snide, underhanded comments to them about like, you know, oh, so you're having another one kind of thing so it's like you know this thing that everybody makes such a big deal about and you know it's a joyful occasion and then suddenly it just takes that little thing and somebody's like oh are you sure you should be doing that and it's just a wonderful reminder i don't know if wonderful is the right word of how <laughs> how much judgment is put in to having kids not having kids how many you have
1: yeah when i had my third the response and he was the only three that uh, only one of the three that was planned um <laughs> the first two were not planned but they were we were in a visit we were happy about it right. so i think most pregnancies are honestly unplanned
2: i, I not very i haven't looked at them. right
1: i haven't looked up the statistics on that but even people who are married often have unplanned pregnancies i did for the first two and the third was planned and there was a La- the the response we got for the third was far less enthusiastic than what we got for the first two and I ran into a professor that I'd had because I was teaching at the same school as an adjunct and I'd had him as a grad student and when he found out that I had a third kid he said maybe you'll stop now <laughs> <Shh>. Thank you <laughs> sir for your unsolicited statement At the same time I totally get judgy when people have a lot of kids. Right.
2: I mean, some in some <laughs> degree, it's hard not to, especially if you don't, like, if you know the person's situation, mm-hmm. and you just kind of automatically go to, you know, that people like, well, I don't think I would do that if I was in their position.
1: Right. Well, we had neighbors across the street from us. That was a lovely Catholic family that had seven kids. And normally, if you told me someone had had seven kids, I'd be like, they're fucking crazy. Like, don't they know this world's overpopulated? Yeah. There's too many is the woman who had three, because my parents even raised me, they said you had two. You replace yourselves. That's all you do. You don't go more. That was
0: it. That was the <laughs> I thinking. I've never
2: heard it stated that way. Yeah. That's
0: you replace yourselves. And so. I'm not sure that's true because mortality. But, Unexpected mortality, you need three.
2: But
1: there's no, because. To break even in you the You don't run. have that type of. You don't have the infant mortality rate that you used to. So if you average it out, you're still okay with two in this day and age. Well,
2: my parents always, you know, equate it to like. They had seven or eight kids three of them died during childhood from you know measles and mumps and right. polio. or you know they ran a farm so they had to have that many people and my parents are always to like we don't live farm. in <laughs> worlds like that anymore there Correct. is no reason that a family you know unless you're making like your own sports team or well, hey you know, those diseases are making a comeback
0: and, and don't forget, <laughs> that's true and don't forget child labor laws still apply to your children
1: right so you can't work them like you used to so you can't have a bunch of kids because before at least they could earn their keep and now they don't yeah, so just crap because I know
2: plenty <laughs> of five year- olds that could totally work.
1: They've got little tiny hands they can do detail work <laughs> that right. older they're perfect
2: for, like, engines there like, you like like airplanes <laughs> and stuff crawling into tiny hands, hands places. Places. It's wonderful. <laughs>
1: Well, the, the thing is, and, and because of that, I have found myself getting kind of judgy, but they had, all their kids were so amazing. I was like, oh, well, if those are the types of people who are having seven children,
2: then I'm all for it, because
1: they're amazing
2: kids. And, and that, <laughs> I mean, that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, and, like, you meet somebody that has, like, six kids, and all of their kids are absolute pricks, and you're like, stop breeding. Your children are dreadful. And sometimes <laughs> it's because your children are just like you. Stop! But, you
1: know, at the same time, even though we may all get a little judgy, I mean, there are people who breed people. Breed.
2: <laughs> there are people who breed people. That is usually <laughs> how
1: people are bred. <laughs> there there are people who get judgmental about people who have any number of kids. I've You know, there's the term breeder that a lot of people use with very negative connotations to refer to anyone who has children, and they consider themselves superior because they don't.
2: Yeah, I've chosen not to
1: do that. Right. <laughs> so... But again i get where they're coming from i don't think you have to be a superior asshole about it but i totally understand and respect people's choice not to have kids because as we mentioned before there are a lot of good reasons and there are a lot of good ethical reasons to not have kids i worked with a woman who didn't want them and she told me people would accuse her of being selfish because she didn't want to have kids and that confused me because i said if you know you're not fit to be a parent it is unselfish not have children because you're saying i would not make a good parent i'm not going to do that and
2: i've heard that argument before and i always make the same like response back to that having children is selfish it's a it's a biological necessity to continue on your line and and most people you know get together and they're like well i like the idea of having you know making a person that's part you and part me because i think you're great and i think together we will. so i mean there is a selfish aspect to it that's yes. part of the whole point that's how the world continues because people right. go we should keep <laughs> doing this so it's built in because
1: that's
0: how the species survives but that's odd because i think there are people who would say that when you're having kids and you're raising them and training them you're preparing the next generation and it's not about you it's about them so, is it actually both? Yes. Selfish yes. and selfless? Yes. Especially I,
2: because you have plenty of parents that are not raising their children with the aspect of making them their own person and selfless, you know, like there's, you get the parents that are like, you know, well, I never got to do tap dancing yes. and i really like <laughs> to make sure my
1: kid does. So, they live vicariously through their children. Right. That's very
2: selfish.
0: <laughs> right. So, there's. Or, or I never tap dance so my kids won't
2: tap dance. I just really like the idea that somebody would be so violently opposed. <laughs> I never tap danced. Neither will you. <laughs> over my dead tap
0: shoes.
1: I do see. I do. But hear... there are some
0: who would say, "I never got to tap dance. I'm going to make sure my kid tap dances." But
1: that's she, the point she was saying. Yeah, that's yeah, the point yeah. she was saying It's they live vicariously for their through their children. So because they stage mothers, you hear about that right. a lot. You know, they weren't able to do certain things when they were growing up, so they want their child right. to be able to do it. So I do think it is it's selfish to a certain degree. I admit that I wanted to have kids because there is a reward to having kids, and there is an actual physical She's reaction. She's talking about tax
2: returns. Well, that's the reward.
1: Trust me, it's not it's not as big as the <laughs> money you pay. So the, the payoff financially is not that great. But there is an actual reward that you get from having kids. And, and we can talk about this, like I said, later in terms of the impact that it has on our brains and, and hormones and all that good mixture. So in, to that degree, yes, and there are certainly those people who, who want to continue their line, their family line. They'll name their sons after them because they want, you know, it's just an, a mini-me true dr evil version where he just wanted another version of himself so there's a balance to it i think that there's both once they're out there's a lot of selflessness to it though you do have to in order i think to be a good parent you do often have to set aside your needs and desires and
2: you 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 sacrifice a lot
1: yes However, I do think that if you realize that that's not something you want or I've heard a lot of people make the argument that there's enough human beings or I'm concerned about the future of the world and I can't imagine put it, raising a child in this environment. I was going to say the,
2: the infamous, you know, who could bring a child into this world, which, like we were talking well, about. Well, your gen- parents did. I'm <laughs> saying? We were talking about generations early, you know. What generation hasn't said that? Right. You know, can you imagine bringing a child into this world? I'm like, well, we've been doing it for a really long time now, and everybody before was like, oh, it's a bad idea. Let's see
1: what happens. The question of legacy, what kind of legacy are we leaving for our children? I do think, though, if you think about future generations, that can cause you to make decisions that are a bit more moral and ethical because you are concerned about what's going to happen to the people further down the road, because if you're only thinking about the here and now and how you're impacted, it's very easy to make short-sighted, selfish decisions without... Which is what I do. (laughs) I'm thinking on the larger (laughs) scope in terms of, like, environment and economy, that it's very easy to be selfish and not worry about those things if you don't think about future generations. If you are concerned about the people who come after you, whether because they're your biological children or just because they're part of humanity then I think that inspires you to be a little less selfish because you do want to take care of them and you want to make sure that you're leaving something for them that is good, it's a good legacy. I don't think we're doing a great job of that right now. I think that we're trying to turn it around. But there is a vulnerability to becoming a parent that is quite terrible, I'm not gonna lie. There's, when it's just you, you have to worry about how things impact you and maybe other loved ones when it's your kid. You have to it's like walking around with an open wound that you're always trying to protect because you're anything that happens, it's not just the concern of how it's gonna affect you, it's the concern of how is this gonna impact my
2: children? And for me I that is kind of one of the, the final things that made me decide I don't wanna have kids, at least not biological, not at this stage, was a friend was talking about their son, they recently moved to a different state. Um, and he's he's goofy, both of our kids are kind of goofy, but you know, and that just fascinatingly, you know, they're scientific minded, they're a lot different from some of the other kids that they go to school with. But she had this worry, he was having a birthday party, and she had this worry that no one would show up to his birthday party. Yeah. And I remember her, because it was in a text conversation, I remember reading that and thinking, oh my God, and I'm so hypersensitive to mm-hmm. that kind of thing. For myself as an adult uh-huh. <laughs> and thinking to myself like oh my god having a child and you know having like my seven-year-old that like, you know have this big huge party and plan for and like two kids show up so multiple and them being like devastated or sad and like the idea just made my like my stomach just turn over and then and then i worry too like you know what if i have one of those kids that you know that kind of thing doesn't phase them and it's not an issue but I have a complete meltdown about it, and then put that on them. (laughs) And I'm like, and granted, I'm overthinking so much of it, but I'm just like, I, just things like that were things that I never really thought about. Because, you know, generally when you think about parenting, you're like, well, can I feed it? Can I make sure it sleeps? Can I keep it alive? But then you start, especially as they get older, you know, it isn't just the bare bones, you know, hierarchy of needs. It's not, you know, they have food, they have clothing, they have shelter, they have, you know they have emotional connection it's you know who made fun of them at school today or did anyone ask them to the dance or did mm-hmm. the person that asked them to the dance make fun of them in front of everyone and like and my brain was just like I, I couldn't do that part
1: it, imagine the way you feel if it happens to you and multiply that because that's how it feels with your kid and that there's a I said, like I said before a vulnerability there that is is it can be lovely sometimes but it's also kind of terrible because you have to carry it with you all the time and you have no control over it at least when something happens to you you can cope with it to a certain degree you can grow calloused to it or develop ways of dealing with disappointment and stress and if it's
2: something you know that can be addressed you can address the person you know at some point you can't be the parent that like steps in for your kid and be like I see you didn't invite my son to this business luncheon. He's 27, <laughs> but that's not fair. So it's just you know, yeah, that ability to recognize where you end and where your kid starts, and how much influence and effect you actually can have. That's a delicate that's, balance. Yeah, and that's just, and I'm my brain even, can't handle that idea.
1: I'm not even going to get into the, the the topic of helicopter parenting and the parents who would actually step you could in do an entire. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And part of that, I think, has been drastically exaggerated to cast, again, millennials as entitled kids who can't cope with anything, which I don't think is nearly as true as people like to make it out to be. But there is a, a, a fine line between protecting your kids and overprotecting and sheltering your sheltering them to right. a point of disservice. So they never have any opportunity right. to grow and develop and cope. Yeah. But again, that's that's the whole thing with how you parent. Whether in <laughs> whether you decide to do it before then is, is still a huge decision. Honestly, I don't even know if I want to touch parenting because that is such. That's, this is the other thing with with choosing whether or not you have kids. Is there is a there's a lot of judgment about not having kids. When you do have kids, there's also a tremendous amount of judgment about how many higher, you have and how, and how you raise it. them. Yeah. Because you have to know going into this. And I have we uh, a friend who's pregnant. She just had a baby. One of the things that I was talking to her about, I said, you cannot worry what other people think. You've really got to make the decisions that are best for you because people are going to judge you for every little thing you do. How you nurse. If you nurse. Uh, Why you didn't nurse. If you even remotely considered it. Why you didn't consider it. Cloth diapers or disposable diapers or organic or, you
2: know, any... Home daycare. Not home daycare. Not
1: daycare at all. Anything you do is going to be judged. Yeah. To shit, which is why I've never been interested
2: in joining any kind of mommy groups, because I don't give a shit. And I've known very <laughs> few people that have joined mommy groups that have had a overall positive experience. Right. With it. Because the vast a- majority I have known have made friends with other people in those groups who hated it. <laughs> yeah. Who basically, like, you know, like, I don't think we fit in here. I kind of feel the same way too. You wanna be friends? Uh-huh. You wanna keep talking to these people? Nope. <laughs> like Most of the people I know that join joined this thing are going to be like, I felt like crap four hours into it. Like, everybody judged everything. And when I went to make a comment, somebody said something the exact opposite of what I was going to say and bashed it. And I was like, never
1: mind. There is such a, a huge amount of competition that I think is weird and I'm not interested in. So I stayed away from those types of things. I did a lot of reading and a lot of research from books and stuff but I've never I know but I've never been super big on asking other people stuff when my kids were really little I had some friends who were who had kids around the same age and sometimes we would swap stories and ask for advice and hey what worked for you but by and large I've just kind of figured it out on my own or like I said I've turned to actual experts and read about it because I'm not interested in in having people try to win the contest of who's the, the best mom
2: Mom petitions. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Mom petitions.
1: It's weird. Mom petitions. Mom-pet- would that be? It? <laughs> That's what I'm to think. There we go. Competition. It's a mom petition. So that is something that I would. That honestly would be enough to make me not want to have kids altogether. So I think you pulled up the statistic that uh, in 1976, one in ten women between the ages of forty and forty-four had never had a kid. In 2005, that number doubled. One out of five women in their early 40s had never had a child. I think in part that's because women are having babies older. <laughs> Geriatric pregnancies, as right. we mentioned before.
2: Old, craggy ladies with children.
1: And I think a lot of people are choosing not to. And so, you know, I talked a little bit about why I have had kids, why I wanted to. I I went through a very brief period of time when I was in my teens. I didn't want to have kids, and one of that, those reasons was because... I recognized the vulnerability, and I I said, you know, if I have a child and something bad happens to it, I don't know if I could survive. Then I went and had kids anyway, and I still don't know. (laughs) You still have that feeling because, yeah. It's the the worst fear that something would happen to your child because you feel a sense of responsibility for them, and if something terrible happens, you have to deal with that loss, but you also have to deal with the sense that somehow this – regret and guilt that you weren't you didn't protect that i can't even go down that path to be honest it's too painful but i did at one time think maybe kids weren't for me so when did you decide you didn't want to have children
2: i have i've waffled on it a lot like there, and my mom has always you know points out that in my teens i was vehemently opposed to the idea like i even thought children were just kind of gross in general um which they they, kind of which i mean they are (laughs) disgusting but um, and then for a while, like my late 20s, I was baby crazy to like no end. It was like, if I could have a baby right the second, I would have like 40 of them. And in the last. So that would
1: be a litter, I believe right. is the technical
0: yes. term.
2: Yes. Or, you know, like, I don't know if I had like an egg sac that I could hatch, but that's disgusting. So never mind. Um, whole. <laughs> <laughs> Um. no no i thought that was pretty funny <laughs> we're like aliens like a queen alien and i can just like egg sex everywhere okay that i kind of want to have kids now um <laughs> except they don't work that way <laughs> yeah then no, no um like i said i waffle on it a lot um <laughs> over the last few years i've kind of come to the conclusion that both mental health wise and the idea one of my biggest fears is that and this has been a fear for a while now is that something would happen to me for whatever reason. And that my child would not have a person, you know, would be an orphan basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have siblings, I don't have other close family members, so it's like, you know, I couldn't be like, well, if something happens to me, they can go to my sister, or right. my brother, or, you know, my weird cousin that lives and in Florida. Your, and your parents aren't really... Yeah, and my parents, you know, are to... not in a position to be raising a toddler or yeah. a baby at the age of 70. Yeah. Um, I think my dad would actually curse me every day.
1: Well, if, your mom's if, in it. If I did
2: that, like, really?
1: <laughs> your mother's confined
2: into a wheelchair, right? Pretty much, Not yeah. easy so to take So that's chase not, a... yeah, that's not a practical... Um, kids are expensive and as I get older I'm like you know I I mean I've always wanted to travel but as I get older I'm like I'd like to be able to travel I want to spend my money on things I want to spend my money on I don't want to be one of these parents that's like well I really like those shoes so I'm going to buy them even though my kid kind of needs new clothes like I don't want to be one of those asshole parents and I'm kind of selfish so I feel like I would be yeah (laughs) um and I'm I'm used to my my life and my routine and If it happened and I had to make it work, I could. But the idea of purposely choosing at this point to have a baby and, you know, that disruption to my work schedule and my work life and my regular life and all of that just, that's a lot of change. And I just, I don't see it being a practical option. And I have other options. I could adopt if I really wanted to at some point. Um, Though you're still dealing with many of the same issues yeah i'm going to say yeah i mean you're not
1: dealing with the physical aspect of pregnancy, but everything
2: else is still involved exactly again still a lot of the same factors but like there are options and then you know and i have a child that i've helped raise so on some level i feel like i've had some of that aspect and there are things about it that are very great and very wonderful and i'm like it would be really fun to have somebody that was my own you know my own blood and my own biology and see you know like, what are they going to, you know, what kind of person are they going to turn into and how much of it I could see and be like, oh, that's me or that's their father or that's, you know, like, that's totally something my dad would do. Yeah. You know, those little things like that. But none of them are a big enough push for me that I can justify it. And that I love babies and toddlers. A lot of people don't. And, and, and that's also how I, am. I adore <laughs> babies. And children are not babies very long. No, they're not. It's like the shortest period.
1: And here's the thing. When you are 100% responsible for them, you may love them, and there are parts that you get to enjoy, but there's a lot of it that's just hard, exhausting work. And so I look back on, on some of the things. I was very hard on myself with very high expectations about what I was supposed to do as a mother that I wish I could go back in time and tell myself to just chill the fuck out and enjoy it because it was not... As much as I love them when they're little, it's even hard for me sometimes to look at pictures or think of them when they were little because I miss it. At the same time, I was so tired all the time. I didn't get to enjoy it nearly as much as I thought I would. Whereas if it's now someone else's baby and I can just hang out with it for a little while, I get to enjoy that baby without having to deal with the exhaustion and the responsibility.
2: And that that is something, again, that, you know, having lived with and helped with the child that you know was not biologically mine we can go we can play stupid games for an hour and it's fine because it's just us hanging out and there's nothing else pressing right like and like when he was a baby and he would come you know stay at my apartment I would watch him washing the dishes or making sure laundry was done wasn't a huge deal because it was like well he's going to be gone in four right. hours and I can worry about that stuff later so I get to focus on all the fun stuff and the playing and the goofiness instead of having to be like, you know, this is really fun, I'm glad I'm playing with them, but I have to do laundry, I have to wash dishes, yeah. I have to make sure this is done, I need to pack lunches for tomorrow. Like, there isn't that constant requirement of work hanging over your head. Yeah. You know, they, they aren't babies a long time and you 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 know you always hear old people tell me like, enjoy it, enjoy it while it lasts. They but grow you- so quickly and it's, you know, in order to get through it you, you can't really like you ha- in order to survive and make everything work every day you can't like enjoy it the way you really want to
1: not unless you really do have someone to help you full time like if you have hired help who can do the stuff that you can't do or if you have a partner who's home all day with you so that you can share the responsibilities and share the child rearing it's incredibly difficult to to enjoy it because you you have so many things to do what i think is interesting is when you were talking about the reasons why you didn't want to have kids you were kind of mentioning how you enjoy your lifestyle and you recognize that you're a little selfish and so you don't think that you would be willing to give up so much for them i think that a lot of men feel that way even after they have kids but they don't seem to get the heat for that as much as women do so if a man says i'm just too selfish to have kids or i'm just not in a place yet where I can give up my lifestyle I think a lot of people would respond with oh sure that makes total sense but a woman says it and it's like you're a freak if you don't inherently want to be a mother and give up everything to do that then there's something wrong
2: with you well and it's also that aspect again of women are supposed to have kids they're supposed to want to have kids yeah men are supposed to get married and have a family and everything but there was no expectation that they did anything other than bring home the paycheck They go to work 40 hours a week, they bring home the money, mom stays home and watches the kids. And while a lot of that has shifted, there's this expectation that, you know, now both parents are gonna work, but there's still a lot of- Because they can't
1: afford not to. Exactly,
2: but (laughs) there's still a lot of pressure that, you know, mom is gonna do a brunt of the parenting and the caretaking. So there's still a very big gap overall, I would say, You know, it's not true for everybody's family or household, but, you know, that the men, they work and they do some of the disciplinary stuff or, you know, they do the fun sports stuff, but all the other basic day-to-day stuff is handled by, you know, mom.
1: And I do think that there are families where the men pull their equal weight. Yeah, and I there. I,
2: and there
1: are there, and there's people I know where the dads did all that shit and more, and 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 helped with the parenting and yeah. the housework and all that stuff. I don't think it's as common though. And I remember when I was mostly a stay at home mom because, as I mentioned, I still taught part time, so I was still working outside the home right. a few hours a week, but I was home for the majority of it. The division of labor in the house was. Such that I took on the majority of it because I was home more often. I figured that that was just my job. However, now that I work part or I work full time and I still have my kids half the time because my ex and I split, I'm still able to work full time and do all the stuff around the house that I was doing before. Now, granted, Steve helps me, we, we do divide stuff up. But I was under this belief that, well, if you're working full time, you're not going to have the time or energy to also take care of all these other things with house. So I let my ex off the hook and would say, look, I'm just—I'll do all the laundry, I'll do this, I'll do that. I kept, you know, I took on all these responsibilities because I felt like he's out there working 40 hours a week, so I should be doing more around the house. And I do still stand by that to a certain degree. But I think I took on more than I needed to because he was still
2: doing more than was a reasonable share.
1: Because now that I work 40 hours a week, I I realize that, yeah, parents who work 40 hours a week still have other responsibilities when they get home. You just have to. You still have to make the lunches. You still have to do the laundry on the weekends. I mean, my weekends, especially my Sundays, are basically chore day. That kind of sucks that I have to spend... I get two days off where I'm not working and one of those is spent almost entirely with my kids and then the other one is spent doing chores, don't get a lot of time to just kind of hang out and do whatever I want. Although to be honest, my kids are old enough that even when they are around I can, I still get a lot of downtime. I don't mean to make it sound like I'm working my fingers to the bone. I still am able to maintain pretty much all the the responsibilities I did before when I was mostly a stay-at-home mom and I'm still working a full-time job. So I think there's this this assumption that you can't that if someone works full-time that they shouldn't have to or can't pitch in at home and I just don't think that that's true you can you can you can be both parents can be equally active in the parenting and the taking care of the home and I and I think that that's something that over time will continue to change I think it's unfortunate that there are a lot of families as you mentioned before, where the dads still kind of hold that old belief that they don't have to play yeah. as active as a role, and there's this pressure on moms to be more active, which I also I think it's bullshit both ways because I think it's ridiculous to have this ideal that if you're a mom, especially if you're a stay at home mom, that you're supposed to be making everything from every meal from scratch that you're supposed to be having crafts that your kids do every day because you can't let them have more than one hour of screen time that you're supposed to be driving them learning at all
2: times and they need
1: to be in multiple activities that you're driving them to and then watching and then volunteering for and then multiple groups that you're supposed to be in as a parent it's Ridiculous! These ex, this this belief that you're that you're not supposed to have any life outside of parenting, because they're supposed to be your only focus, is absurd.
2: Right. Well, and it's you know you have that, and and you're also you know. Parenting, then you're also overscheduling your children in my mind, but that's
1: <laughs> again that's a whole nother. That's, it's so really again, that's hard parenting. To, it's really hard to talk about the topic of whether or not to have kids without straying Very into right how to too. raise right. them once you have them.
0: So I think it's an interesting question. What do you say to people who will listen to a guy say, "I'm not ready to have kids. I have too many things I want to do," and they cut him slack and? They look at a woman who says, I'm not ready to have kids yet. There are things I want to do. And they go like, but, 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 but. When you know, any of, either of them could do them. I mean, you, you, it, there, well, the there should be is... fathers. There should be mothers. There sh- They should be involved. It should be engaged. And both help each other and both take care of the kids. And, you know, because you were talking well, about. Well,
1: we, we made that point though, that it should be both. But the issue with women is that. Our clocks are being perceived as running out faster than men's. So if a guy says, I don't wanna have kids right now and he waits till he's 45, he can still have kids. A woman waiting until she's 45, she may not be able to. So for us the idea is well you better do it soon unless you freeze your eggs, which is now a viable option and has done a lot. Right. But with men that's that's not as much of a concern. So they can yeah. they have the luxury of taking their time. Or at least they think they do because as we discussed earlier, it's still harder for men to to
0: Well apparently I've read that they freeze older. their sperm when they're young and have a higher mobility rate They unfreeze better
1: well there you go so basically men and women should both be freezing their eggs and sperm and do whatever they want to do till they get it out of their system and are ready to be parents and, and then, then you want un- baby pop <laughs> that's right and then you unfreeze right. that shit and have kids well and
2: we were talking about earlier was kind of where I got stuck there's a much different I mean we've talked about it a lot the difference between how women are treated and these kind of things and men are when a man says, you know, at, I mean, even 20, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40, he says, you know, I don't want to have kids, I've never wanted kids, or that's not a thing I want, you know, and people say, oh, well, it's wonderful that you recognize that, we don't want another deadbeat dad, yeah. da, da. <laughs> you know, people say that. When a woman says at 25 or 30 that I don't ever want kids, you're like, oh, give it time, you'll change your mind, Yes. and then <laughs> 35, 40, and they say, no, really, I, I don't want to have kids, you know. It turns into you know well you could change your mind but you don't have a lot of time you're pushing it but see this is where I want to know what do you say to these people because when a woman has that
0: serious inclination toward um, education or job satisfaction a career and that you know what if that's who she is if that's what she wants and that's what she wants to pursue I think she should be given the leeway and personally i think that because a woman does have a certain biological clock over a man i think she should be given a certain extra measure of consideration and pardon you know like you know what that's a tough decision when you're put under a clock well it is
2: a tough decision but the problem is is you're not just factoring in you know outside forces you're also factoring in the biology so again where a man can say, I'm pursuing my career and make that his focus from, say, you know, 22 to 38. I put all of the, you know, this last 15 years I spent putting all into my work and my career and, you know, I'm this and I've done this and I have these accolades. Now I'm ready to settle down or now i be able to focus and I think I want to be a parent. Whereas with a woman that decides to do that, you know, she works the 15 years and she hits 38, suddenly it's like, well how viable is it that I'm going to actually be able to have a baby? Is the baby going to be in good health if I do it at this age? You know, regardless of whether or not society or other women or ourselves personally, whether or not we give ourselves that consideration and, you know, say, you know, it's a difficult choice. I understand that there's still the issue of it's not completely in our control. At some point biology is completely taking over whether or not it's in our control. But that's my point.
1: I feel like we're,
2: women should get a little more leeway
1: Circling.
2: in okay. in
0: consideration
1: why would why should women have more leeway in they consideration. already know they have their
0: clock ticking on them it would be hor- i think it's horrible okay, for somebody else which to makes it more right. difficult for us because there's more pressure
1: well here's the thing you said what do you say to those people well i don't know steve because people are going to have those opinions if somebody makes those comments to you then you say it's not your fucking business yeah. that's what you say but this is how society is, and the thing is, we, ca- we discussed this sort of in the beginning when you were out of the room tending to the dog, so we've sort of already touched on this topic, but at the end of the day, our clocks are going to run out a little bit faster than men's, so we are having to consider things differently as a result of that, and at the same time, there are different societal expectations of women than there are of men, okay. because for the longest time, our primary role was parent. Well, one of the things that is also interesting in the debate as to whether or not to have kids is when people make the decision that they want to take permanent measures to prevent themselves from having children, they are met with a certain amount of resistance when they're younger, especially if they're female, because as you mentioned before, the reaction often is, you'll change your mind. So doctors won't want to give tubal ligations to younger women who haven't had kids yet, because they're convinced that the women
2: yeah. further
1: on down the road are going to change their minds. I well, think men who want vasectomies reach the same problem if they've not had kids, but I think the resistance is higher with the, women. Right.
2: There's definitely a lot of pushback, I think, on either end.
1: Well, that we've known people that have had a trouble getting it, even people with, we, we have a mutual friend who had a daughter who had some severe health issues and needed a hysterectomy, and she was, has never been interested in children anyway, but this coupled with the different health issues she had would have made it very difficult, I think, for her to even get pregnant had she wanted them. Exactly. And when it became apparent that it just was not a future for her,
2: that children were not
1: in the future for her,
2: and that... And that her life could possibly be at risk by still having all of the equipment... Right, having her uterus right. could kill her.
1: There was a lot of red tape that they had to go through in order for her to get a procedure done that was basically saving her whole life just beca- because sometime in the future she may decide she want to have kids and won't be able to, yeah. as though there aren't other options and, available.
2: And I can, I'm, on one hand, I can understand that kind of thing if you want to play like devil's advocate. You know, you have people that at the age of 18 have horrible health scares and horrible medical things, but all they've ever wanted in their life is to have a kid or to be a parent or they know someday that's the thing they want to do and to be told well you know the only thing we can do to prevent you from having other issues is to basically end that possibility right it can be devastating so i understand it on one way but in that situation with that friend of ours you know it was a matter of like this was someone who was you know over the age of 20 had never had any to my knowledge inkling of wanting to have kids particularly it's never been a thing that seemed like she really wanted to do and it was a matter of you know this is a medical thing that if it's not addressed sooner rather than later is going to be a major thing so you know it was kind of like this needs to be done anyway and oh also it works out that they don't really want kids anyway and yeah it was still a problem
1: and, and for women more than men, then, even if it is for a health issue, to convince a doctor, and I'm sure part of it is that they're just trying to cover their butts. But and even if you're just talking about tubal ligation or vasectomies, those can be reversed. It's not always successful, but at the very least, you can try to get it reversed. They can be,
2: it can be super expensive, and so, you know, if you're looking at it from that aspect, and it can be time-consuming and money-consuming, right. and it could still possibly not work. And you know it's kind of one of those things well if you're deciding you want to do something permanently then you need to know you want to do it permanently because we don't want you coming back in 10 years and being like well i didn't realize it was permanent what happened
1: but i think as long as you were to i'm sure that they have lawyers that could write up a document that made it so that you would not be able to five years ten years down the road decide oh crap i want to have kids and go back and sue the doctor for having done the tubal ligation vasectomy. i'm quite sure that there are ways for them to legally cover their butts so that makes me think that it's more of a oh, I'm sorry little lady or little sir yeah. you don't have kids yet and I know you say you don't want them but people change their minds and so we don't want to do this well and
2: I've heard you know anecdotal stories from you know some people that I know through other people you know and things I see like when conversations have started up on like friends Facebook posts and things like that I wanted to get my tubes tied, but they wouldn't let me do it unless my husband signed off on the paper oh, or yeah. also. <laughs> or, um,
0: okay, so when I had my vasectomy, I had to go in for a screening, and I had to bring my ex-wife with me. But
1: she was your wife at the time. My wife eh? at the time. <laughs> Had I, she been your ex-wife, then okay. it wouldn't have mattered. I don't want <laughs> like, him to have
0: any more kids. That, that can be awkward. They might have understood if I brought my ex-wife. No, I brought my wife at the time because they insisted that she come. I was naked from the waist down and he was juggling juggling my nuts <laughs> as she sat in the corner giggling and I, she, she put that giggle. in her
1: spank okay. bank.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't it and he's like he needed to make sure that he said in front of the two of us, this is statistically irreversible. Okay. It's one in a thousand to one in 10,000 chance of reversing it. Are you sure? Because even I remember driving down the interstates at that time and there would be some billboards that talked about that $10,000 reversal. I granted... I was military at the time, so I got it done for free. But at the time, it was about 350 to $400, $500 if you really went to an expensive place. $500.
2: Concierge vasectomy. <laughs> and,
0: and, but if you went, no, I mean, even out in town, $500 for a vasectomy, for a guy to get a vasectomy was $500. Five, How much $500. is it for a
1: woman to get a vasectomy, No, Steve? no, no, no. no,
0: no. <laughs> but the reversal was 10000 and I, I, I'm pretty sure all the statistics show that for a woman to get the tubal ligation and then get a reversal, the odds are even worse. So they're they're very careful about that, because when our third was born, the doctor was like, "Should we do this?" And I'm like, "No, no, hell, no. That's not my call." You Peace mean the out. tubal
1: ligation for her? Yeah, for ask. her. Okay.
0: And I was like. Uh, I, she's under anesthetic. We didn't discuss that. I can't make that call. And the fact that
2: anesthesia. they would ask the husband while the wife was under anesthesia—is this the thing we're doing? Is horrifying. <laughs> that's some shady shit. Yeah.
0: Man, it, it took a year down the road before her grandmother said, "I wish you had told him yes," but that's a different
2: story. Right. You'd be like. For a
0: different yes, episode. I'll go ahead
2: and sterilize my wife's
1: surprise. Had she, had she woken up and found out that okay. that was done to her without her knowledge or permission? I imagine she
2: could have had a lawsuit on her hands. Uh, honestly, probably <laughs> not because you could probably there's probably some legal thing that would argue he was next to kin and he can make that this guy. Uh,
0: she, was under, she was under anesthesia yep. and he was able therefore lawfully to make decisions sure. for her. Uh, and I just went like, nah, I, can't, I can't do
1: that. Well, I can't. I'm glad that was what you said because that's that's some yeah. very gray area there.
2: <laughs> well and talking you know well I'm me so i know. talking about you know the surgery and everything. For, this actually came up on a, a friend's Facebook post the other day something came up about seeing somewhere else somebody throwing a fit about how difficult it was for them to get a, a vasectomy and the friend you know pointed out that by and large what men have to go through to convince somebody to give them a vasectomy versus what women have to go through is generally vastly different and is a lot more of a hassle
1: Is more of a hassle to get a vasectomy? More of a hassle
2: for the woman. For the woman, okay,
1: okay. For Um, a large
2: part, that probably has to do with the legality. To do
0: a vasectomy, you're talking about a very three-millimeter incision on either side of the scrotum. For a tubal ligation, you have to cut into the abdomen. You have to cut ah, into... They do it
2: laparoscopically. uh, Yeah, I don't... Okay, maybe still a
0: small... But it's considered highly invasive compared to. Well, and
2: that—that that was I may what, not I, know was, the truth. what I was. That's what I was going to say. Up some numbers. A, I asked because uh, somebody in that Facebook thread has had a vasectomy, and he made a couple comments. He said, first of all, he said he had, he had a friend that went in and told a doctor he wanted a vasectomy, and they asked if he had kids. He said no, and they were very hesitant. He went to a different doctor four days later, and when they asked if he had any kids, he said, "Yeah, I have two. I'm not interested in having any more." And they went ahead and did it. So he lied? So he lied. (laughs) They don't even make you it. But from the time he went to the very first doctor's appointment to the time he got the vasectomy done was less than four days. It was a 15 minute in office procedure. They told him to take some ibuprofen afterward and he was done. Did he drive himself home? I believe so. Wow. (laughs) Whereas with a tubal, it is an OR. You have to be in an operating room at the hospital. It is not an in office procedure and they can do it laparoscopically, but you still have to have an. You still get incisions. You still get put under entirely. It is 100% anesthesia. You still have to go to a recovery room afterwards. It's going to take a couple hours out of your day. You're not going to get it done on your lunch break. I have I have heard people make, lunch break vasectomy. I have heard people make that comment, and I don't know how flippant they're being, but that essentially. They got their vis- oh it's
1: it's the new millennial
0: trend, hadn't you heard? Lunch break vasectomies. Right. They're actually <laughs> offering them at Starbucks. Well, yeah, but first of all, it's 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 n- not always that cleanly. <clears throat> okay, we
1: don't really need to discuss your personal experience with vasectomy.
0: <laughs> no, not, not even talking about mine. One one in a hundred guys who have a vasectomy have post operative complications. So one in a hundred may seem like a great crapshoot. I don't know how women feel about it, but it's more invasive for a woman. But when a guy has a problem they swell up the size of grapefruits, guys. Anybody, what's well, supposed they, to be the size of a con becomes the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> this is not good. Well, I they, can do, only they do imagine what it would they, be like for a woman. They do
2: inflate the woman's belly with air during the So, yeah. I mean, you know, swollen. So it again. becomes
1: the size of uh, a honeydew. I mean, if we're
2: comparing right. oh, to food, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, generally speaking, men have an easier time getting the vasectomy. And whether that's because the biology is different Or because, you know, men are, you know like they, oh, lie. they lie Or, you know, like, it's just, you know Oh, well, this man came in and says he knows what he wants to do And, like, there's no questioning that he knows this is the thing he wants to do Whereas we look at women and go Well, she'll probably change her mind That's what ladies do
1: it's, it's, <laughs> That's because the blood in our brains Sometimes has to go to our baby centers Right And we can't l- use
2: logic yeah. as well because our vagina is full of blood instead of our brain Like
0: a guy's brain and the blood brain doesn't go to the little brain at times
2: yeah but you know it's it's easier for men to get a doctor to agree to do the surgery it's a quicker process from the time they ask to the time it's done often and it's generally from what I'm understanding a quicker recovery now apparently tubals have a very quick recovery get it done on a Friday you can go back to work on Monday
1: So this isn't... And that's not really anyone's fault. That's not a fault of the medical community. It's because you're talking about different... Completely
2: different biology. So so
1: it's not not anyone's fault that it's a little harder for women to recover. The problem is it's still harder
2: for them to get the approval to get it done. Yeah. They started telling doctors at the age of 20, I don't ever want to have kids. And by the time they were 35, they found a doctor that said, okay... I'll give you a tubal after, after 15, 15 years. years of telling multiple doctors and being told the same thing over and over well you could change your mind and it's permanent on one hand doctors it's their responsibility to make sure that their patients make the right decisions and that they help them make the right decisions and if you have someone that comes in in a super shitty mindset say like I don't ever want to have kids and you know they're very obviously angry and agitated then it makes sense to be you know like oh well let's think on it, let's talk it. but if you have someone that you know visit after visit you say what are you doing for birth control or what do you want to do for birth control and they say I want a tubal and they say well we'll talk about it next year and you do that for 15 years you're pushing somebody towards something that they don't want instead of helping them get what they do want
1: and honestly if you look at it from the age standpoint at 35 as we mentioned before that's the point at which you're considered geriatric pregnancy so a lot of them are probably thinking well I don't know that it's that viable for them to get pregnant and if they do there might be more problems so it's okay to go ahead and do it now
2: well, and I even like I've I've brought it up with my doctor and I even and this is a doctor that I've always kind of jokingly been vaguely offended that she seems sort of, you know, very pro me not having children because like, every time I'd see her, she'd be like, "Ah, don't come back pregnant. I'd be like, rude. But when I mentioned and said, you know, I'm pretty sure I want a tubal, I got kind of a, eh, are you sure? And I did get and I didn't this didn't even cross my mind until a couple weeks later. She asked my age and you know, verified I don't have kids. And she actually asked me if I had a boyfriend or was in a relationship. And it did not occur to me until a couple of weeks later that she'd asked that. And I considered it just sort of like a harmless question. I thought about it and I was like, like I guess her maybe her next question would be, would have been, you know, well, does your partner not want kids, you know, yeah. kind of thing. But it occurred to me later and I was just very bothered by the fact that I'm like, that shouldn't matter. Like it's, I'm asking for it. It's not the person that I'm sleeping with or I'm dating.
1: And either decision you make is fraught with anxiety and stress. Because if you have kids, it's hard for a long time. And if you don't have kids, it can also be hard. I would be really interested in... And this is something I didn't think to look up. People who decided not to have kids, later on in life, did they regret it? Is it something that people once they hit the point of no return, that they say, you know what, that was the right decision and I'm glad I didn't? Or do they reach a point where they kind of wish that they had? And,
2: and I am like, I'm, I'm pretty set on my decision, but I am, st- every once in a while it crosses my mind and I struggle a little bit, like, what happens if in 10 years, you know, obviously I'm gonna be older and in my 40s, but what happens if in 10 years, like, my life situation is significantly different and I decide I do want kids? Like there are options apparently. Like I mean, I could I would have to get in vitro, but mm. I could you know get pregnant and carry yeah. like a, a pregnancy.
1: You could do surrogacy. Yeah.
2: So I mean, I have a multitude of options, and of course, there's adoption. There's other things. Yeah. A lot can change. I mean, hell, a lot can change in a year, let alone ten years. So I do. I have once or twice kind of worried what happens if I do change my mind. But I'm like at this point, where I am and what I foresee, this is the decision that makes the best choice and i think for a lot of women it's one of these things if there were other long-term options that weren't permanent that were practical Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have to be so much but you know women have you know we have a multitude of birth control options and they have things like iud's that are semi-permanent i guess is a good way of wording it they last for a long time Mm -hmm. but so many of those options come with hormones and you know that comes with side effects and medical issues and so it's not as simple of a decision
1: right it's not just I'm not going to do this now and then boom your body complies you have to mess with your body in some way in order to trick it into not not getting pregnant or not ovulating there have been a couple times where I've seen on ask reddit uh, people asking that very question that I was posing earlier those of you who decided not to have children a long time ago later on how do you feel about that decision in the few times I've looked at it, for the most part, the responses have been, yeah, I think it was the right decision. I've been able to do a lot of things I couldn't have done if I'd had kids because of finances and other things. Right. Every once in a while, there's a, a kind of sometimes wonder what it would have been like to have had a child, yeah. or I do worry about what's going to happen to me in the future, you know, when I don't have children. So I, I think that that weighs on anybody. But... As you said, any decision that you make in life that has permanent consequences is something that has to be weighed very carefully. Yeah, not I mean, just whether or not to have children. You never know what's going to happen in a year or
2: ten years. Anything you do is with a certain amount of risk. Yeah. When you make a permanent decision, or you know, something that has you know that finality to it, it's it's going to bring up emotions, and it's going to make you question things. I I know it's true for, and I don't know if this is true for you now, but people I know that have decided, you know. I'm not having any more kids and so they go through those things where you know like this is the last time I'm gonna have a kindergartner or this is what the there's a finality you mourn the loss of every stage exactly that's and I did mourning. that's what yeah. I went through. and you know like so on one hand while I'm very I should say very I'm I'm set in my decision there is still that you know that mourning of you know like what would it be like to you know like see you know my newborn for the first time that you know what does it look like me is my kid going to be the way I was in elementary school? Or and is the, my kid going to do the same stupid stuff I did when I was, you know, 16, 17, right. Like that morning that, of that finality. Will you they know, tap decision. dance? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: well, Will ent- they be
2: the best tap dancer that was ever known?
1: Well, what's interesting about this... And and here I'm going to bring it to the brain side of this, because some of what you were talking about is tied into our physiological response to having children. Now, I think that everyone pretty much agrees that there is an innate drive in most human beings to procreate, because that's what keeps the species going. I'm say that's what we're supposed to do. Right. After you have kids, though, there are still changes that happen that m- make sure you don't kill it, basically what it comes down to. <laughs> So mothers' brains change after they have kids, and what was interesting when I was looking at this, one site that I read said that your brain shrinks. Now, not in the sense that you get dumber, although people do talk about mom brain and having foggy memories. I would say that's stuff. what I was
2: thinking was pregnancy brain, and yeah. the, the number of women I, like I've worked with that have been pregnant, and you know the constant teasing because you know, especially the further they get in their pregnancy, and like the things that they just completely forget.
1: Right. what they're doing, you're just like, oh. And the reason that is, especially after, I think it's near the end, but certainly after, what they say is that it shrinks down. So it's not a dumbing down, but what it is is they said that your brain is honing its circuits for mothering. So what happens is there are a certain number of cognitive impairments during pregnancy and after birth. Those levels do recover a year or so after. So it's not permanent from what they're saying, This what an article said. But what happens is there are different parts of your brain where the energy becomes concentrated. So what happens is because your brain is getting ready to nurture a child and raise a child and protect a child, it pulls resources from other areas, is is what it sounds like from what I was reading. But another thing is that it grows in those key regions. And for those women who have positive reactions to childhood, if you look at their brain scans, you can see more activity in certain regions of the brain, like the amygdala, for instance, that allow them to be more responsive to their children so that they can be better caretakers. And for women who struggle to connect to their children and don't immediately take to motherhood or find it rewarding, their scans are different. So it's as though their brains didn't react or or change in You're the right. way it should have in order for them to become... The the, type the brains
2: of, weren't didn't wire themselves for motherhood,
1: right and as far as hormones and a lot of women will talk about oh I immediately fell in love with my child and some women which is often tied into postpartum depression struggle with that they don't get that immediate connection and they can feel very guilty a lot of that comes down to hormones apparently the oxytocin that you're that you release during birth triggers those responses that that make you connect to your child but the other thing it does, which I thought was really interesting, is it affects your memory. So you don't remember the birth as clearly, which means you're more likely to repeat
2: it. I'm going to say, which is why <laughs> women who thought childbirth was awful have children again.
1: It, yeah, because even though cognitively you remember that it was hard, you don't retain that same emotional memory of it. And so you go back and you can do it because if you remembered everything about how hard it was, it probably would. not Well, and you also, more.
2: again, like in line with you know, if you have positive associations with mothering or parenting, as opposed to negative, those positive, those positive feelings that you have toward it are liable to color your memory of that. Even if it was bad, the child that you have, the person that you've made, that's that's so much more. That's so worth it that it overrides any of the other discomfort or pain or misery of childbirth and
1: that's part of what's happening in your brain as well your brain is designed to react to your child and you your pleasure centers are triggered when you get certain positive reactions from babies so if your baby smiles at you the pleasure centers in your brain are rewarded much like if you were On a drug so the thing that I was reading compared it to a cocaine high it's the same type of reaction now you may not get quite as crazy as you would if you were coked up but it's that same sense of pleasure so again that keeps you connected to your kid it keeps you wanting to protect your child and it makes you more inclined to have another one so you can get that same rush again. it
0: makes you addicted to the next smile
1: well, to a certain degree, yes, because it is it it does train you to get a certain rush of, of pleasant emotion from seeing your child do well, that. And on
2: the flip side of that, you know, the positive versus the negative, you know, for a parent that has a difficult child that either has medical problems, you know, like the colicky baby, is uh-huh. always you hear, when you're constantly met with crying or, you know, sick, and you know, medical issues and things, it's hard to necessarily... Find that pleasurable so if you're yeah. constantly stressed and you know everything around your baby is more difficult than the regular you know difficulties mm-hmm. of having a child then yeah your brain isn't gonna react the same way it's going to have a negative aspect
1: and you're not gonna bond as well and those parts of your brain that are wired to respond positively to your child's rewards Pleasantness and smiling is not going to get what it needs, which can make it very difficult to bond and connect And a lot of times those women then
2: feel very guilty that they don't feel differently Yeah, they don't have that mothering aspect,
1: but it's not a flaw in your personality It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that something isn't happening in your brain that is happening in others and it's not your fault it's right. again as many of the things that we talk about the ongoing theme through for much of this is much of what we feel emotionally is a result of what's happening physiologically in our brains a yeah. lot of it just comes down to where and how neurons are firing what types of pleasure receptors are being tripped or pain receptors and what the fuck our hormones are doing so We put a lot of weight on ourselves and blame on ourselves for not feeling like we're supposed to feel. And often, we have very little Mm. control over it. Now, you can learn to control it to a certain degree, or if once you recognize what the problem is, you can sort of mediate it a little bit or find coping skills. But so much of all of this really just comes down to your brain and what's happening.
2: And that it's not
1: Yeah, yeah, and if your brain is an asshole, you are it's going to make your life a lot more difficult. Right. Because, as you and I both know, it's not a competition because
2: we're all fucked up.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening. We are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. We are not expressing expert opinions and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat with them online. Take care.
0: My Asshole Brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolls, produced by Stephen Beasley, and presented by Greasley Enterprises. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.